As we've been studying in Ezra, we, we've, we're looking at again now, this is post-exile. The, the, we saw that you know, the, the tribes, the northern 10 tribes taken off into exile by Assyria, the southern two tribes taken off into Babylon, the 70 years that God foretold they would be, that they would be there. We saw now that King Cyrus is now in control and he gives the edict to, to send the children of Israel back into Israel. Not only that, to go back and to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Just like God prophesied even by name, naming Cyrus long before Cyrus was ever born. And we've looked at that, but now we, we've come to this. And last week we talked about the fact they get there and they have the provisions there finally. And there are, there are many of them and the work begins and everything is going along great. They did first things first like they're supposed to. They got things in line with wor- worshiping the Lord properly and, and all of that before they even started working on the temple, before they started working on defending themselves, doing anything like that. Again, first things first. And then they laid the foundation of the temple. And after that was up, this great celebration that went on. And then, as we talked last time, all of a sudden, the discouragement starts coming, the enemy starts attacking, first even from within, as some that were a part of the rebuilding efforts started looking at it and saying, man, this isn't, this isn't like the old temple. We remember Solomon's temple, and this, is, you know, this just isn't like it. And, and so some of the discouragement from there. And then we saw the enemy coming from outside, right? We saw the, 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 those that weren't part of the, the Jews. They were in, the, in the, the, this place that came that the Assyrians had placed in there. And they start coming along and saying, well, we don't want this to happen, so what we're going to do is try to infiltrate. We're going to try to get in. They're like, hey, we've been worshiping just like you. Compromise with us. You know, come on and be a part of us and then we'll help you and they said absolutely not we're not going to compromise and so then they changed their tactics and they started trying to frustrate the work they started discouraging them they started bringing bringing fear and frustration and discouragement and distraction and as we begin this again tonight this is where we left off last time this is this is such an important thing because we all face this in our christian walks we all come against the enemy. We all come against the, 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 de- the deception, the discouragement, the frustration. It's very real. I, one, of the th- one of the things, the tactics that I hear oftentimes that people say, well, you shouldn't feel that way. Have you ever, has anybody ever told you that? You shouldn't feel that way. How does that make you feel? Worse, right? I mean, I, I do. I, I do feel this way. That's a very real thing. Unfortunately, a lot of times what happens is the same thing that happened with the children of Israel here is they just quit. They stopped working. There was not an edict given to them to stop working at that time. They just got frustrated. They just, they, they, all of a sudden, they weren't feeling the love. They weren't feeling the support. They all of a sudden were thinking, man, this is just too hard. So they quit. And we talked about it, how it was... 15 years almost that the work stopped after the foundation was laid. They, they, the enemy got them distracted. Tells us, in, and then if you'll remember, we, with the, as we get into chapter five, it tells us the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. We looked at Haggai last week. The Lord spoke through Haggai after that 15-year period, and paraphrasing, I hope you read it, but kind of paraphrasing it, it's God saying through the prophet, what are you doing? Why did you stop? Get up. 
I didn't bring you back here into, the home, in the, into Israel to build your houses back. I gave you a job to build my house. I came here to get, brought you here to get to work. Now get up and get back to work. I'm with you. And, and we talked of that last time. It is always too soon to give up. Always. Because we will always face opposition from the enemy if we're doing the Lord's work. It's a great sign that you're, that you're not in the Lord's will and doing the Lord's work if you're not facing any opposition. We'll see as we, start, we get through this a little bit more that for those 15 years, there wasn't any opposition. Everything was great because they had backed off. And we, if, we're not, if, we're, if we're not careful, that can be a response that we have. We can back off. Okay, things aren't as hot and heavy this way. Things aren't, things aren't as much of a problem. I can just settle in. And the problem with that is, is when we settle in and we get kind of comfortable, then we fall asleep. And that's, I think, a part of the big problem with the church today is we've fallen asleep. And there's work to be done. And so as we, as we continue to look at this, understanding it's, it's a very real issue. And God said, get up, get back to work. I didn't call you to try. God didn't say, I, go, I send you to, to all of the nations, so go try to make disciples. He said, go do it. Make disciples. He didn't, when, when, when Paul speaking again, the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul to Timothy, he didn't say try to preach the word. No, he said preach the word. Do it. You're going to face opposition when you do those things. We have to understand that. And I guess as we're going to start transitioning now again, let's look at verse 1. Chapter 5 in Ezra, when the prophets Haggai and the, pro, when the prophets, Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. We looked at Haggai last week. Let's look at Zechariah real quick. Beginning, let's look at chapter 3. Chapter 3 and 4. We'll look at, we'll briefly look at them. Chapter 3, now, the Lord's speaking to Zechariah. He speaks to him, and he gives him this through some visions. And there are several of them. There's actually eight that are recorded. We're going to look at just a couple of them as he's speaking through here. But notice, chapter 3, verse 1, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest. Joshua is the high priest. Zerubbabel is kind of the one that's governing over the whole work. But Zerubbabel and Joshua are the two main players, the two main leaders in Israel at this time. He showed me Joshua the high priest, notice, standing before the angel of the Lord. Many believe, and I do too, as we're going to see here in a moment, the angel of the Lord there in this vision is a, a theophany, a, a, a pre-incarnate version, a image or view of Jesus here, because it says the angel of the Lord, and we'll see what he says here in a moment. And notice also, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And we're going to see as we come forward and we move through here, but you notice the accusations, and probably maybe uh, because these are the same accusations he brings regularly against us. Have you seen this guy? God, this is your man, Joshua? Do you, you know what his past is? You know what he's been involved in? You know, you know what's going on here? He's not worthy for this. He's not qualified to fill this position. Notice verse 2, then the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. 
Notice this, and I love this. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? And the image that's there, a brand plucked from the fire, it's not like a a big healthy log that is taken out of the fire. No, the brand is that little black piece that's smoldering still and that if it's left in the fire, it's not going to provide any more heat, anything else. It's just going to slowly burn out. That's all that's left. And it doesn't say, again, notice this brand that jumped out of the fire. No, it was plucked out of the fire. And God, in that saying, Satan's bringing these accusations. He's not worthy. He's not qualified. And Jesus is saying, you're right, he's not. But I reached in and I pulled him out. He's one that I have chosen, that I've placed my hand on. I've taken him out of the fire. Notice he says, now Joshua was clothed with with filthy rags and standing before the angel. Clothed in filthy rags. This is not a pretty picture that's painted of Joshua. <laughs> it's not like this guy showed up and he, was, he deserved this. He, he nailed the job interview. He deserved this. No, he, it, the picture is painted there of somebody who filthy garments on his own, a brand that was plucked out of the fire. He, the Lord, spoke and said to those who were standing before him, saying, remove the filthy garments from him. Again, he said to him, see, I have taken your iniquity away and, you will clo- and, and will clothe you with festal robes. I've taken your sin away. You're not here because you're worthy on your own. You're here because I've taken your sin away. And I have clothed you in righteousness. We looked at that this weekend. Remember in Ephesians chapter 5? So husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her with the washing of the water with the word that he might present to himself the church. He's the one who chose. He's the one who cleansed. He's the one who washed. Present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. Another beautiful picture of how this is moved out here, not only removing the filthy garments, but now clothing him in righteousness. And then I said, I said to them, put on a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments while the angel of the Lord was standing by. And then the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua saying, now the Lord turns to Joshua and says, thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways and if you will perform my service, then you will also govern my house and also have charge of my courts and I will grant you free access among those who are standing here. Walk in my way. Walk in a manner worthy. Worthy. Again, as we've been looking in Romans, walk in the newness of life. Here, perform my service. Serve in the newness of life the spirit you're a new man you're a new creation and yes this this is a word for Joshua specifically in this but I believe it's a word for any one of us tonight who feel unworthy maybe maybe again you like the children of Israel you feel you know God specifically called you for something and as a born-again believer we every one of us has a ministry Every single one of us has been gifted, has been, God has touched us, he has given us a gift, he's given us a ministry without exception. And perhaps you're feeling, well, but I'm not worthy of that because of my past or even because of things I'm struggling with right now, I'm not worthy. Here's the truth of it. You're not. You're not. 
But if you are a born-again believer here tonight, he has plucked you out. He, his, as he tells us in, in his word, his, his goal isn't to extinguish the, the smoldering wick. It's to fan it into a flame. It's not to tear off the bruised reed. It's to repair and to restore. And though the enemy might be telling you right now, yeah, but you're, he's talking to everybody else, not you. You blew it too big. You blew it too bad. He's a liar. Yes, he's a powerful enemy. He's a great enemy. But far greater is he who is in us than he who is our enemy. It's not even a close contest. (laughs) So the one that has rescued you, the one who has redeemed you, it is his righteousness that you are clothed in. Don't listen to the enemy anymore. This word for Joshua is a word for you tonight. But as we keep on reading, let's look down. The rest of chapter 3 speaks looking forward to Jesus, um, the branch. But let's look, jump down to chapter 4 here in Zechariah. Then the angel who was speaking with me returned and roused me as a man who is awakened from his sleep. And Again, there's that picture to me. Waking up from sleep, the Lord's saying, get up, get up. It's not time to sleep anymore. And now, again, here's Zechariah, the Lord speaking, or this angel, again, believe it's the Lord speaking to Zechariah. He said to me, what do you see? And I said, I see and behold a lampstand, all of gold with its bowls on the top of it, and its seven lamps on its seven spouts belonging to each of the lamps which are on top of it. Also, two olive trees by it, one on the right side of the bowl and the other on the left side. Then the angel of the Lord who was speaking said to me, what are these? Oh, I said, then I said to the angel of the Lord who was speaking to me, what are these? So the angel who was speaking to me answered and said, do you not know? And I said, no, that's why I was asking. (laughs) No, he says, no, my Lord. Couple of things before we move on here. The lampstand, interesting that that's the image now that Zechariah sees because they're there to build the temple, right? And the lampstand goes inside the temple. The difference, one of the, one of the, the chores that are the daily workings of the priesthood was to take care of that lampstand. It was fed by oil. It had wicks. It needed to be cleaned. The oil needed to be refilled. It needed to have the wicks trimmed. It had all of that. What is different about this is the olive trees that are next to it, that are connected to it, that are continually supplying oil. It's not being filled by the priest here in this vision. The oil trees are continually providing the oil. And just one little quick side note as I was reading through this. He asked the question, what are these, my Lord? And the question that comes back, do you not know? And at first reading with that, I'm thinking, okay, if somebody asked you that, what would your response be in your pride? Well, of course I know. I was just asking for their benefit. (laughs) But the bottom line is, God's desire isn't to keep secrets from us. His desire is that we know him fully. But his desire also is for us to seek him with all of our heart. So when when he says, do you not know? Again, to me, that's an invitation to, again, humble myself even more and say, no, Lord, I don't, but I want to. I want to know. 
I probably should know, but I don't. And, and I'm here to hear more from you. This isn't a rebuke. This is, a, 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 to me, an invitation to come closer. Then he said to me, and no, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. So we saw a word directly for Joshua. Now we have a word directly for Zerubbabel. And here's a verse that many of you knew, but maybe didn't know where it was or the context of it. Now by my, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You will become a plain and he will bring forth the top stone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Also the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house and his hands will finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. The word of the Lord that came to Zerubbabel. I believe this word coming to him because he's feeling unqualified. I can't, I can't do this. The, the initial excitement, the initial everything that came, all of that happening, but then the immediate response, even by some of the own people who are working next to him that says, yeah, but this isn't anything like the old one. And then the discouragement that came, and then starting to hear as the leader, other people start talking, and other people getting discouraged, and other people getting frustrated, and finally he just says, you know what, I give up too. Solomon when he did it, he's the wisest man in the world, the smartest guy that ever lived. And he had everything. He was not only the smartest guy, he was the richest guy. And he had all the connections and his dad had everything and everything. I don't have any of that. And the word that came, he says, I'm just totally unqualified. This can't work for me. And the word that comes to him is it's not about your might. It's not about your power. It wasn't about Solomon's either. It says it's about my spirit. This is going to get done, God is saying, because I want it to get done. This is going to get done because my spirit, the, 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 the picture that he sees as he's asking for clarity, what is this? The olive trees that are continually feeding that, the oil, oil in the scripture is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And a picture of the Holy Spirit being continually poured in. And in that, the, the, just such a, such a beautiful piece and a beautiful, you know, as, as we look at oil and it, all of its uses. Oil is, a, oil is a lubricant. And how many of you know that when we work together, there's friction sometimes? <laughs> just saying. And when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, that that lubricant, that when things get a little rough and we, you know, maybe get a little bruised and, and scraped up a little bit, oil was used to soothe and to heal. Oil for the lamp, the picture of the lamp was, was there to illuminate. It was there to bring light. It was there to, to do that. And again, the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord says, it's not because you're super smart. It's not because you're, you're incredibly, incredibly talented or gifted or whatever. You've heard it before. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. He calls you to something. You're saying, I'm not qualified. You're right. You're not. You know why he calls you to do something you're not qualified for? So he gets all the glory. When it's all done, as, as we see here, 
Notice verse nine, the hands of Zerubbabel laid the foundation of the house and his hands will finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. You're gonna know God did it because you can't. (laughs) Filled with the spirit. Knowing Jesus saves us, knowing Jesus redeems us, filled with the Holy Spirit, that's how God gets his work done. I've said it before, I I love this, say it, just stick with you, own this, all of us. Being spirit-filled is a condition, not a title. We're we're spirit-filled, but that's not something we walk around with it on on our backs. That's who we are, that's what we are. It's a condition to be filled with the spirit. And if we're filled with the spirit, the spirit is gonna guide us and direct us and lead us. If we're filled with the Spirit and we, we bump into each other, guess what happens? We spill on each other. <laughs> and we are filled. The evidence of being filled with the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit being abundant in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, those things evident as we follow the Lord's leading, filled with the Spirit, and he says, that's how it's gonna get done. And if you're here tonight and you're feeling like the Lord has called me to something and I, I, I can't do it, you're right, you can't. I'm totally unqualified, you're right, you are. But it's not by your might or by your power but by his spirit, says the Lord. And if he has called you to do it, he will make sure you have everything you need to fulfill his promise, to fulfill what he's called you to do. And when those things, whatever those things are, perhaps you're thinking, well, yeah, but it's the thing that I've been called to do is, is you know, it's not that, it just doesn't seem that big in the whole scheme of things. You know, and, and I just, whatever that might be. And, and I, I want to tell we had, we, had we had an announcement this last weekend. We need help in the church a couple of times a week. And it doesn't mean you have to come a couple of times a week. We need it a couple of times a week. But if you did it once a month, helping clean the church. We need help in children's ministry. That's, it's an ongoing need in our church. There are many needs within the church, and you think, well, but yeah, and, and again, I'm not going to, in your heart, you might think, well, that's, that's kind of a, that's not that big of a deal. That's kind of, no, it's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. And it's pride that says, you know what, no, I'd, I'd, rather, I'd rather be doing this. I'd rather be leading a Bible study, or I'd rather be this, or I'd rather be that, but God is clearly calling you to something else, and you're like, yeah, but that's, uh, verse 10 For who has despised the day of small things? Who are you to say that's a small thing? When when God calls us to do something, we might think that initial thing that he calls us to do is small. Be careful when you think that. But we have no idea the ripple effects of that. God might be calling you and just placing a burden on your heart for the the, the homeless people that you see on the street. And God's just laying it on your heart. You know what? Just just make sandwiches and bottles of water and hand them out. Or, you know, whatever it might be that God's laying on your heart. 
nothing is, is a small thing. And you need the, the Holy Spirit to be effective in anything that you do for God in that. But you have no idea the far-reaching effects of those things. When it, he says, don't despise the small things, but these seven will be glad when they see the plumb line of the hand of Zerubbabel. These are the eyes of the Lord which range to and fro throughout the earth. The small things, God sees it all. And they're not small to him. Jesus said, you give a cup of cold water in my name, you do not lose that reward. That's huge to him in his name for his glory. Let's just finish this out real quickly. Verse 11, then I said to him, what are these two olive trees on the right of the lampstand and on its left? And I answered the second, and I answered the second time and said to him, what are the two olive branches which are beside the two golden pipes which empty the golden oil from themselves? So he answered me saying, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. Then he said, these are the two anointed ones. And most believe that the two anointed ones speaking again in the vision that he's seeing here are Joshua and Zerubbabel. These are the anointed ones, and they're standing in this position now. But notice this, and this is highlighted and underlined in mind, who are standing by the Lord of the whole earth. As we stand there, we are invincible. The man of God doing the will of God next to the, next to the sovereign king of the universe is invincible until Jesus says, hey, come home. Standing by the Lord of the whole earth, the king of kings. Again, greater is he. Well, with that as a brief introduction, let's look at chapter five, Ezra. Wow, we're gonna have to hurry. Hmm. Okay, so with that, Haggai brings the word of the Lord. Zechariah brings the word of the Lord. Then Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel and Joshua, son of Josedek, arose and began to rebuild the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were, were with them, supporting them. So they not only brought the word of, of, of direction with them, but they come alongside, encouraging them, working alongside them. At that time... Now all of a sudden the work starts. They get back to the work. Guess who comes? Guess who shows up? At that time, Tatanai, the governor of the province behind the river, and Shethar Bozani and their colleagues, they brought a whole, a whole posse, came to them and spoke to them thus, who issued you a decree to rebuild this temple and to finish this structure? Then we told them accordingly what the names of the men were who were reconstructing this building. And that's not a small thing. This, this whole group comes and basically saying, who told you you could do this? Again, here comes the opposition. Here comes the enemy. And instead of playing, they said, here's the names. Here's our names. Here's our name, rank, and serial number. Here you go. They just... Gave him the information. Not a small thing. We're going to read that this information is going to go to Darius. Darius, not a nice guy. You cross him. It, we're, we'll see it when we get down into, into chapter 6 in a moment. That you cross him. He made a decree. You cross me. We're going to take a stick out of your house. We're going to put it out in your front yard. We're going to impale you on it. And then we're going to take the rest of your house and turn it into a dunghill. That Darius. They said, here's our names. <laughs> We're filled with the Holy Spirit doing the work of God. Here's our names. 
But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not stop them until the report could come to Darius and then a written reply be returned concerning it. This is the copy of the letter that Tatnai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar Bozani and his colleagues, the officials who were beyond the river, sent to Darius the king. They sent a report to him in which it was written thus, to Darius the king, all peace. Let it be known to the king that we have gone to the province of Judah, to the house of the great God, which is being built with huge stones and beams are being laid in the walls. And this work is going on with great care and is succeeding in their hands. Then we asked those elders and said to them, thus, who issued you a decree to rebuild this temple and to finish this structure? We also asked them the names, their names so as to inform you and that we might write down the names of the men who are their head, who are at their head. Thus they answered us, we are the servants of the God of heaven and earth and are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago, which the king of Israel built and finished, King Solomon. But because our fathers had provoked the God of heaven to wrath, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this temple and deported the people of Babylon. Note first that they just tell the truth. They're not, there's no revisionist history going on. There's no, there's no excuses being made. Our fathers sinned against God, and God judged us. God was the one who overthrew us. God brought Nebuchadnezzar and carried us away. However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, King Cyrus issued a decree to rebuild this, the house, this house of God. Also the gold and silver utensils of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem and brought them to the temple of Babylon. These King Cyrus took from the temple of Babylon and they were given to one named Sheshbazzar, that's Zerubbabel, as we've mentioned before, whom he had appointed governor. He said to him, take these utensils and go and deposit them in the temple of Jerusalem and let the house of God be rebuilt in its place. Then Sheshbazar came and laid the foundations of the house of God in Jerusalem, and from then until now it has been under construction and it is not yet completed. So they ask him, what are you guys doing and who gave you the authority and what are your names? And they just lay it out. Here it is. They're not fighting back. They're not being antagonistic. They're not saying, and who are you? Let me see your credentials. And I just, when I was reading that, just thinking through that today, it just drew me, it reminded me what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Guys, it's going to happen. Don't be surprised if, again, God calls you to do a great work, you're filled with his spirit, you're stepping out in faith. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that's going to come. But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Don't be, don't be thinking that the, the fiery ordeal is a surprise. As a matter of fact, the hotter it gets, praise God more. So that at the revelation of his glory that you may rejoice in exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of the glory of God rests on you. But he goes on to say this, make sure that none of you sufferers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. Now the first four probably aren't that big a problem. Don't suffer for being a murderer, a thief, or an evildoer, the first three I mean. 
The fourth one's the one that most people struggle with, being a troublesome meddler. Persecution comes, we feel it's our job to fire back. We feel it's our job to one-up. We feel it's our job to win the argument. We feel it's our job to be more clever than they are. We feel it's our job to retweet something or to do whatever else and everything like that. And Peter's saying, don't suffer like that. Don't, let me just give you my version. Don't suffer for being a knucklehead. I mean, honor God in it. If, if they're gonna come, I, I, I love their response. By the way, he says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. They're, that's what they're doing. They're just like, oh, we're just doing the work of God. And again, here's, here's our names. You want those? Here, here you go. <laughs> we're not ashamed of that. Here it is. Now, verse 17, if it pleases the king, let a search be conducted in the king's treasure house, which is there in Babylon, if it be that a decree was issued by King Cyrus to rebuild this house of God at Jerusalem, and let the king send to us his decision concerning this matter. So, just real quickly again, King Cyrus is now off the scene. Darius, we have a couple of kings later, as we mentioned this last time, Darius. This message, this letter gets sent to them. They're not trying to manipulate anything anymore. They're not saying, okay, you know what, you know what, never mind, we'll stop. They keep on going. Let God be God and watch him blow your mind. Because, chapter six, then King Darius issued a decree decree, and search was made in the archives where the treasures were stored in Babylon. Now, a search was made. They said, If you can find, would you, if it pleases the king, not telling you what to do, but go and make a search and see if this decree was ever made by Cyrus. Now, just, I I know I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but just in case you're wondering, he couldn't Google that. I did earlier, it took .26 seconds, and I got 243,000 responses as to where I could find King Cyrus's decree. Darius didn't, couldn't do that. He didn't even know where it was. But he sends out a search, and I, again, here's God moving already. He could have just said, whatever, tell him to stop, but he doesn't. In Ekbana, the fortress, which is the province of of Media, a scroll was found, (laughs) hidden away somewhere, but it was found, and there was written it as it follows. Memorandum. In the first year of King Cyrus, Cyrus the king issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the temple and the place where sacrifices are offered be rebuilt and let its foundation be retained. Its height is 60 cubits, its width is 60 cubits, with three layers of huge stones, one layer of timbers, and let the cost be paid by the royal treasury. Also, let the gold and silver utensils of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, be returned and brought to their places in temple in Jerusalem and shall be put, put them in the house of God. So, Tatanai is waiting for the letter to come back so that he can just shut down this whole operation, right? Verse six. Now therefore, Tatanai, governor of the province of Babylon, or beyond the river, Sheshbazar, Bozanai, and your colleagues, the officials of the province beyond the river, keep away from there. Leave this work on the house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. Amen. But it gets better. Verse eight. Moreover, 
I issue a decree concerning what you are to do for these elders of Judah in rebuilding of the house of the Lord. The full cost is to be paid to these people from the royal treasury out of the taxes of the provinces beyond the river and that without delay. By the way, start taxing and pay for this project. And it gets better. Whatever is needed, both young bulls, rams, lambs for the burnt offering to the God of heaven and wheat, salt, wine, anointing oil, as the priests in Jerusalem request it, it is to be given to them daily without fail. <laughs> Watch God be God and just be totally amazed. Again, remember, we're just a couple of months previously, they're sitting there going, ah, we had to quit because the pressure was too hard. Instead of trusting God and watching God be God. <laughs> King Darius. Verse 10, that they may offer acceptable sacrifices to God of heaven and may pray for the life of the king and his sons. <laughs> Make sure that they're praying for me while they're doing it all. That's... And verse 11, again, just in case there's any question about doing it without delay, without fail, and I issued a, a decree that any man who violates this edict, a timber shall be drawn from his house, and he shall be impaled on it, on his house, and his house shall be made a refuse heap on account of this. May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who attempts to change it so as to destroy this house of God in Jerusalem. I, Darius have issued this decree, let it be carried out with all diligence. Hmm. Then Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Sherethath Bozani and his colleagues carried out the decree with all diligence, just as King Darius had sent. And the elders of the Jews were successful in building. Literally, they built and they prospered. Through the prophesying of Haggai and the prophet Zechariah, the son of Edo, and they finished building according to the command of God, the God of Israel, and the decree of Cyrus Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. As we've mentioned, Artaxerxes is the king when Ezra in Nehemiah's time, that's another 50, 60 years ahead of where we are right now, but Ezra writing back to then. Um, the elders of the Jews were successful. They, they built, they, they completed the task that God sent them, and they prospered. Through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah. Tonight, if you're here tonight, I gotta tie this up, and we got a few verses still left, but if you're here tonight, and you have backed away, you have stepped back, you have taking a break because the pressure was, was hard or, and you started listening to the enemy who says you're not qualified, you're, you're, you're not worthy, that, that keeps those things coming. I bring the same correction that, that the Lord brought through Haggai, Zechariah. You're not worthy. You're not qualified. Get up and get back to work, filled with the Holy Spirit, following the Lord as he guides and directs and provides because there's work to be done. And as you step in faith that way, the work will get done. You will prosper as you move forward in that. Not prosper like name it and claim it. That's not what I'm talking about. Every step, you will, you'll be filled with joy. 
you will have, you're gonna face obstacles. The moment you stay, if you make the decision tonight to get up and get back in it again, filled with the Holy Spirit, telling the enemy he's a liar, he can go jump in a lake, and you start moving forward tonight, I can guarantee you, you're gonna face opposition. Filled with the Holy Spirit, push forward and watch God be God. Verse 15, this temple was completed, and guess who completed it? Yeah, I, the Lord, yes, but guess who's, guess the man? So Rubabel did, just like God said. He's laid the foundation. He's going to finish the job, too, and then everybody's going to know and give glory to God, and that's what they do. Completed the temple on the third day of the month of Adar. It was the sixth year of the reign of Darius, so 21 years after they started, it's done, 16-year, 15, 16-year break in the middle. And the sons of Israel, the priests of the Levites, and the rest of the exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. They offered for the dedication of the temple of God 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs as a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats, the corresponding to the number of the, the tribes of Israel. Notice 12 goats corresponding to the number of the tribes of Israel, 12 tribes. It wasn't two. I mean, you hear of that often, you know, that, that the, the lost tribes of Israel. There are no lost tribes of Israel. God knows exactly where they are. This done here, they're, they're, God is bringing them, again, uniting his people. Notice, though, the 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, 700 animals, 712 animals. Far cry from the 142,000 that were offered in sacrifice at the dedication of Solomon's temple. Think God was any less pleased? Any less honored? Any less glorified? No, because it's not, not the size. It's not the amount. It's the heart. It's the, it's the sacrifice. It is, the, it is the, the praise that is given. Again, the joy that is in their hearts. God is, God is doing this amazing work, and they are, they are just, again, filled with the Spirit, moving forward with this. And we see that it's God who place, gives that joy here as we finish out. They appointed the priests to their divisions, the Levites and the orders of the service of the God in, in Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. Again, obedience, following the Lord. What does he say? We're going to do this. Verse 19, the exiles observed the Passover. That's cool. Just even the exiles observed the Passover. They, the Passover was the celebration of the fact that they came out of Egypt. They observed the Passover on the 14th of the first month, as prescribed. The first celebration of the Passover now with the new temple. For the priests and the Levites had purified themselves together, and all of them were pure. Then they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the exiles, both for their brothers, the priests, and for themselves, the sons of Israel who returned from exile and all those who had separated themselves from the impurity of the nations of the lands to join them to seek the Lord God of Israel ate the Passover. So all that had come back, plus all that were there in the land that had made the decision, okay, I'm going to... I'm going to walk away from, the, as, as it's written here, the impurity of the nation. I'm going to turn from that, and I'm going to follow after the true and the living God. Now, in addition to those that came from Babylon, 
seeking the Lord, the God of Israel, you seek God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love him like that, you have to leave the impurity of the world behind. And that's what they do. And they follow after God at that. In verse 22, and they observe the feast of unleavened bread seven days, note again, with joy. Why? For the Lord had caused them to rejoice. God's placed that joy in their heart. Again, he's the one who is working and doing all of this with them in them. And turn, turn the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to encourage them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. Again, I want to encourage any of you here tonight that are struggling, that have, that have faced opposition and, and, and backed away, who have, have, have faced real discouragement. It is real. I'm not telling you not to feel discouraged. I'm just telling you in the face of that, Put that behind you and move forward. Get back up. God has great work for you to do, and you need to trust him and, and rely on him. Not your strength, not your power, but by his spirit, says the Lord. Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. And Lord, we thank you that it's your desire to meet those that are broken here tonight, even just perhaps just smoldering. Lord, would you fan that into flame tonight? No condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your word of direction and encouragement. Have your way in us, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a good rest of the week.